closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning. Welcome to After 9. I'm your host for the next hour, Eric Allen. i got four people on the panel today. John Sikowski. Morning. Morning, John. And uh, <laughs> Sheldon Clare. Hello, Eric. Uh, Peter Ewart and James Steidel. So we've got a number of different topics we want to get into, and uh, the one we're going to start off with is uh, uh, manufacturing in Western Canada, uh, or lack thereof, uh, even in Canada, I suppose, but really in Western Canada. We see all kinds of uh, goods coming through Prince George to Prince Rupert uh, for export to other countries for manufacturing, and a lot of it comes back into Canada as an export from the country that imported the raw materials. So we don't get that many jobs out of that. I mean, we can say as an example, we manufacture wood pulp here, but wood pulp is just a feeder stock for a paper machine or something. And then we end up getting our printed paper or something from somewhere else. So anyway, Peter's going to get into that and just give us an overview of what he thinks the problem is, and we'll get into maybe what some of the solutions could be. Go ahead, Peter. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, uh, the first point I'd like to make is the is the importance of manufacturing in the development of national economies. You know, it's on that foundation of manufacturing that you get all sorts of uh, development of research and and uh, and development of various kinds of education infrastructure, spin-off industries, and so on. Manufacturing is like a super tonic for a, a, a national economy, and uh, it can't be uh, underestimated in terms of. Uh, its importance uh, for the independence and the further development of, uh, of a country. So manufacturing in Canada. Uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, manufacturing output, Canada ranks 15th in the world, just below Little Ireland and Turkey. You know, and so some would say that's pretty mediocre, you know, in terms of uh, uh, given all the advantages that, uh, that Canada has. 10% of Canada's GDP... Uh, is uh, related to manufacturing with 1.7 million employees in direct em- employment. In terms of percentage of uh, gross domestic product, BC has the fourth largest manufacturing in the country. It's behind Ontario, Quebec, and Alberta. Manufacturing sub-industries in BC, you know, wood products, of course, by far, you know, uh, are uh, important in that regard. But also food products, primary metal manufacturing, like aluminum and so on, fabricated metal products, and beverage manufacturing. Now, you know, when you look at the deficits that uh, British Columbia has in relationship to Canada as a whole, in transportation equipment manufacturing, you know, auto industry and so on, it's 14.3% in Canada of uh, GDP, but in uh, B.C. it's only 5.4%. Chemical manufacturing... In Canada as a whole, it's 11.1%. In B.C., it's 5.6%. And machinery manufacturing, 8.3% in Canada, 6.7% in B.C. Now, when we talk about Canada ranking 15th in the world, this does not necessarily capture the problems B.C. and Canada face in terms of development of manufacturing. You know, some would argue that Canada does not have an all-rounded or even well-rounded manufacturing industry. Many manufacturing facilities are actually branch plants, especially of the U.S. 
you know, and there's a problem with that because um, the research development, associated industries, and so on are, are usually based outside the country, outside those particular countries of, that are the branch plants. Um, anyway, the, um, there's all, a lot of exports. Canada's a lot of exports of raw, unprocessed materials. Uh, and related to that, a lot of manufacturing is limited to that one sector of the economy, natural resources, rather than all-rounded. Canada traditionally has had a low self-sufficiency in manufacturing compared to other industrialized countries. Uh, we import a lot of manufactured goods and machinery. Uh, an important part of the economic and political independence of a country is the extent of its machine and equipment-building equipment industries. If you can't or don't produce your own means of production and equipment, you're at a big disadvantage to other countries that do manufacture these. You know, you're very vulnerable to uh, pressure and so on if you don't have uh, uh, your own machine and equipment building industry. A key part of the machine building industry is the machine tool industry. The U.S. used to be the top producer by far, but now it's slipped to fourth place behind China, Germany, and Japan. If anything indicates the decline of the U.S. economy, it's the erosion of manufacturing through offshoring and shrinking machine and machine tool industries. So how do we develop more manufacturing and machine industries in British Columbia and Canada? This is a problem that goes back many, many years, many decades. On the one hand, B.C. and Canada, and Canada that has an advantage. Uh, the advantage is a trained, educated, and hardworking workforce, abundant natural resources, you know, wood, metal, mineral, food, etc. Low-cost energy, railroad, air, ports, communication, infrastructure, education and uh, research facilities. You know, so um, even even with a small population, relatively small population, Canada has has an advantage there that it, that it could or can use uh, uh, to for the development of uh, manufacturing. You know, the, the uh, you know, like we, we see the, the, you know, the free trade agreements that we have with the U.S. On the one hand, it gives access to U.S. markets. On the other hand, there's a disadvantage in, in, in that the, we're increasingly dominated by the, the U.S. economy, increasingly integrated into the U.S. war machine, and there's restrictions on trade. You know, various U.S. politicians do not really do not want manufacturing to, de to develop much in Canada. Like the politician, the Republican Rick Santorum, came up here and basically told uh, a meeting of business people, we want your natural resources, but we also want to lure away your manufacturing. And we're seeing that again with the U.S., the Home Shoring, the Inflation Reduction Act that's been put in place. Other problems include... Um, runaway corporations, right? You know, where we do have corporations that are based in Canada or B.C., but then uh, they take the money, the revenue that they, they gain here and uh, reinvest it elsewhere in the southern United States and other, uh, other, other issues there. Uh, another problem, in my opinion anyway, is uh, burning bridges with China, right? You know, the, at, the, at this time, uh, you know, one of the things that... Um, a section of the elite has always wanted to do is to make sure all our eggs are not in one basket, specifically the U.S. Uh, the world is changing. There's a growth of the global south. The old global financial arrangements are falling apart, uh, you know, including neoliberal ideology, which is against public ownership of any kind or 
and its four privatizations, and we've seen the legacy of that with the sale of BC Rail, CN Rail, and other, um, you know, examples of it. So uh, all of this takes development away from developing an all-rounded national economy. You know, so, you know, what are some possibilities? Well, I think one of the possibilities is is getting away from neoliberal ideology, maybe some new types of state-owned enterprises, public-owned, where profit and revenue stays at home. Um, more demands and restrictions put on corporations using the Canadian advantage. You know, for example, like the, the, in the past, well, you know, uh, one of the noted examples was uh, the pertinency, which required um, the uh, companies, the forest companies, to... Uh, uh, process uh, the, the the logs in, in near the in the communities near where they were harvested, and, and it was part of community building in in the province. Uh, you know, other possibilities: corporations to revenue share with communities more for uh, local economic development. Um, you know, the, I think the critical thing is that we have to start off with having the aim of building a national and provincial manufacturing economy. Other countries have done that. China, Japan, Vietnam, and, and so on. The most important thing is for people, I think, at this time, when we're in the midst of some really tectonic shifts on a world scale in terms of trade and uh, uh, trade uh, partners and so on, it's important for people, the Canadian people and BC people, to have discussion on where we're going and, and to have mechanisms to bring this about, to have more say. Just to conclude, in an increasingly globalized world, a country like Canada needs to build a strong, self-reliant, all-sided manufacturing economy. And it's all about nation and province building. You know, so we're at a stage now, I think, that um, anyway, we, we should be talking about these kinds of things and uh, looking at where this country is going and, and where manufacturing is, is going to fit into that. Okay. <clears throat> um. We're going to go to Sheldon on this just in a second. I'm just thinking that, you know, the, if we get into manufacturing in a big way, then, of course, our competitors are the big manufacturers. Peter talked about, uh, you know, more maybe uh, government-owned entities or whatever. Well, that's what you have in China. Basically, you've got Chinese government controls or owns everything. And so that becomes your competition. They're pretty good at it what they're doing right now. I mean, we can't compete with them now. I don't know how we're going to be able to do it in the future. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, that's the kind of point I wanted to make there, Eric, is Western civilization's strength is predicated on individual rights and personal freedoms and the ownership of private property. And I'm all in favor of building a manufacturing sector, but I think to, to consider that you know, we can't offend China is ridiculous if we were going to do such a thing. They're, our, they're a huge competitor for us. They have been interfering in our elections. There's something I was going to touch on, and we're talking about that. That's that's plenty of evidence to be seen for that. And China is a problem. It is not a solution. It's it's basically taken over a lot of our uh, retail purchases. I mean, if you look around the room here and what we're all wearing, I would wager that a good bit of everything we've got here has been made in China. 
So that's a that's a consideration that we've really got to think of. And I, I mean, I'm all in favor of, of of making things in British Columbia and in Canada generally. However, the, the the realities of the market in, in China and the, and the effective competition of the state-run economy, uh, 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 which has become more and more of a market-based economy to the benefit of the state, and and key uh, <laughs> elements in that state, uh, we, we're not able to compete with that, and that's that's an unfortunate reality. If we want to, if you want cheap goods, you're you're, you're not going to get them by having a well-paid uh, Western workforce doing it. No, and that's the dilemma. You know, it's, uh, uh, James, you're in the manufacturing business, so uh, maybe give us your view. Yeah, um, yeah. Who, where, where do we start with this? It's a huge issue. Um, maybe we start with uh, not spending public money uh, making these uh, big super ports. I don't know if anybody has any comments on that, but like, why are we making it cheaper to bring in st- offshore stuff into our country? You know, we should, we should, we could actually use the port as kind of a, a form of a tariff, and you know, make it as inefficient and, and jammed up as we possibly could. So that the uh, price of offshore goods goes up, and that encourages people to manufacture stuff here locally. Um, I mean, there's so many examples of things that we can easily build ourselves, and I don't think it would really cost all that much more. You know, a lot of woodworking projects, a lot of uh, furniture. You know, uh, that's uh, one one thing that the Trudeau government did there is they they brought in tariffs on furniture being brought into Canada, which uh, actually was was hugely beneficial to manufacturing in Canada. So there's things that we can do. And, and you know, we, we've talked about this on the show before, like just how how is it possible to ship a couch to your house in Prince George for like, you know, it costs you more in shipping to get something that size to Vancouver, never mind pay for the product. Like just, just all of the, the, the advantages they have with, with logistics and everything, it's totally unfair to Canadian manufacturers. Um, on wood supply is a problem for Canadian manufacturers too. Like you had that, there was a company in Kelowna making beds that went out of business a few so years back. Okay, can get the wood. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, but but I think another thing is is steel. I think you know Peter's talking about the ability to make tools. That's a huge, hugely important point. Is like not only should we make tools, but you have to be able to make the tools that make the tools. And uh, sorry, one more tools in there. You have to be able to make the tools <laughs> that make the tools that make the tools. And, and the machinery to make the tools. Yeah, to make you know, there's a, there's a huge there's a huge chain of, of production in there involved, and it starts with having steel and being able to produce steel. And we don't really do that in Canada. In Western Canada, I mean, you've got a, a steel plant in Edmonton. We need way more of that. So that's what I think. What have the Romans ever done for us, eh, James? We used to have steel plants in Canada. I think there's one in Sault Ste. Marie and a couple back east. We used to have manufacturing plants in Quebec and uh in Ontario. Ontario for clothing manufacturing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we do some manufacturing here now, canned goods and that type of thing. So it's not like we don't do any, but slowly it's been slipping away to places where they can do the same thing cheaper. What do you think, John? Well, it's that stupid shark tank mentality, right? We we have somebody who comes up with a product, it turns around and says, look, you know, I can produce this here. It's Canadian made. This is the advantages. This is going to hit the market. It's going to be great. And then you have the clowns with the money sitting back and, well, I want to offshore that someplace, you know, so that we can get it done cheaper, faster and crappier and flood the market. Uh, the bottom line is manufacture it here. We have the technology. We have the ability but the problem is we have so many 
governmental branches that get in the road that that block us from doing manufacturing here in Canada. Um, so, like, manufacture something in Vancouver? I don't think so. Man, you can't get anything built in Vancouver without three years lead time just to get the building plans approved. So you have to look at moving out to Prince George or other communities that have the resources that can do it. So it's got to be uh, a spark of innovation. We've got to encourage our people to do it. Okay, so uh, are we ready to go for a break here now? Okay, we're going for a break. You ever thought to yourself, boy, it'd be nice to have a show that only features pop rock into a from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and the odd time a little bit nearer? Well, you found the place. Saturday evenings, 9 to 11, it's all the map with Jimmy James, and it's the show that does feature pop rock into a from those decades. There's also the 930 1970s feature track, the 10 o'clock double shot, and to put the wraps on every week's show, the final vinyl feature. So tune in Saturday evenings, 9 to 11. It's all the map with Jimmy James, only here on 930.1 CFISFM. Hungry? Looking for something good to eat? Well, pop on by Boston Pizza and try their new feature menu, where Jalapeno Popper Dip is back by popular demand, along with the many tasty new items. As always, Boston Pizza offers medium and large pizzas, Buy one, get one, 50% off for takeout or delivery. And don't forget their happy hour runs in-store from 3 to 6 and 9 to closing daily. Give Boston Pizza a shout today at either location, Spruce Land or Brookwood, for any of your snacking needs. Forecast from Environment Canada. Mix of sun and cloud today with local smoke. A few showers with a risk of thunderstorms beginning this afternoon. A high of 26 with a high UV index. Tonight, a few showers with thunderstorms ending this evening. Then partly cloudy with a 30% chance of showers, all of 12. For Tuesday, a mix of sun and cloud with local smoke. A 30% chance of showers in the afternoon with the risk of a thunderstorm. A high of 26 with a high UV index. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and uh, we're going to carry on with this subject for just a moment or two. Uh, Peter, you have something to say on that? Uh, Yeah, you know, like, uh, I think, um, you know, crucial things in this is that the, the, the whole world is changing. There's some tectonic shifts in terms of what's going on. And Canada has an uh, has an opportunity, you know, to uh, you know develop in this context. I, I think uh, the critical thing is, uh, you know, the Canadian government has uh, uh, done some things that I think that have alienated uh, people on the, on, the, on the, especially the global south. You know, you look at you know they, they talk a lot about the election interference. Uh, uh, you know, by by China or whatever. Which uh, anyway, no no kind of election interference is uh, is, is is positive. But uh, then you look at what uh, Canada has done itself, interfering in the in Haiti, the overthrow of the Aristide government, uh, the attempted overthrow of the Venezuelan government, right? Directly intervening and so on. So I think the you know the in terms of foreign policy, uh, Canada needs a shake up in terms of. Uh, uh, you know, how it's dealing with the rest of the world. And uh, I think also, you know, we have to look at the, you know, the whole question of, uh, uh, you know, we're going into a period now where mining is going to be very important in British Columbia and, and Canada as a whole. Uh, you know, and, and what are we going to do with that? You know, like, uh, are we just going to be left with a, a bunch of holes in the ground, right, and p- pollution problems, etc.? Or 
cannot be used, can mining be used to, de- to have community develop, economic development, you know, the sharing of revenue with communities and so on, so that uh, there's a possibility for, uh, uh, in, in terms of mining, for uh, communities to, uh, to, to have economic development. Uh, and uh, to not put all their eggs in in, in that basket. So anyway, it's it's something, it's a a complicated question. It goes back a long ways, but it's important, I think, at this time, when we're right in the midst of going into some major changes on a world scale, that um, we have discussion about what's the way, what, what are ways, possible ways forward. Well, I think you're right there, Peter. But if you look at the defense policy, we're we're a laughing stock internationally and domestically, and we're not going to be taken credibly on a global scale until we actually do something to look after our own national defense without relying on others to do it for us. I mean, we're not taking it serious in the Arctic. China's getting in there. Uh, Russia's getting in there in a big way. And other countries are, are cutting us out of, of talks around defense because we simply can't show up. We can't play and we're not to being taken seriously at all and if you want to be taken seriously on a global scale you can't just go rattling on about a myth of peacekeeping and and talking and pretending that you're just going to be nice when that's not what it is i i agree with you uh in, in that respect uh, our armed forces are are highly underutilized um we don't always have to be ready to go to war you know uh what we do have to do is look at using our armed forces to uh, to look after us first. That's what they were there for. They're to defend the country and protect the population. So, in the event of a natural disaster, it would be it would behoove the government to turn around and roll in with the with the armed forces and our corps of engineers to put in roads and bridges and infrastructure. Uh, to support the Canadian population. So, you know, we're paying for them anyway. We may as well make use of them instead of having them sit on bases twiddling their thumbs. I know they're not twiddling their thumbs on bases. Oh, oh no. But you know what they're, I mean, they're right? They're overtaxed with work. There's, They cannot fulfill the basic missions that they've been given. They, they're not getting recruits now. The, the whole going woke is uh, has really affected the military and recruiting. And the, the the fact is, troops do get used for domestic purposes. However, their primary role is not uh, that, and that is not something they do all the time. Their primary role is national defense, and their primary role is to be part of our international relations and our global power uh, projection, along with our NATO allies. And NATO is a big part of what uh, we do for collective security. Peter, no, I, I agree. Oh. Peter, you got something on that? Uh, yeah, no, no. Just for clarification, right? You know, like in terms of the Arctic, yeah, you know, Russia's up there, Denmark is up there. You know, China would like to be up there, and and and, and well, and they so, are up there, and so and so on, right? But uh, j- just what often gets left out of this equation there is that uh, uh, the the U.S. does not recognize uh, our Northwest Passage. We also have a situation where the twenty thousand square kilometers of the Beaufort Sea. Uh, which uh, is supposed to have all kinds of oil and gas and so on, uh, is not recognized, right, by uh, by by the U.S., nor is it rep- re- recognized by uh, some of the European countries as well, right? So I think uh, rather than, uh, you know, just sort of get into this uh, 
you know, binary us and them kind of thing and all that. We have to look at the complexity of the issue and, uh, uh, you know, what's the way forward and not have illusions about uh, about about the the U.S. in terms of what its interests are and and how it operates. Quite true, Peter. The the Americans don't recognize our border. Ironically, the Soviet Union used to adhere to polar geography uh, before the Cold War ended. Russia does not. It, Russia is is one of those that also does not recognize our northern borders anymore. And we've basically uh, started to accede to this because we cannot credibly put up any sort of defense. We need a three-ocean navy, and we barely have a one-ocean one. Well, it was back in the 50s we threatened to go after with Boy Scouts and slingshots, and if they keep pushing us, we'll do that again. You know, we'll send our Boy Scouts up there, shoot marbles at them, and tell them to back off, <laughs> and, uh, because that's our philosophy. Yeah. We, we don't have any defense. Oh, it's, uh, it's... Don't let it out there. Don't let people know about it. Yeah, it's, it's a whole other issue. We could talk about this yeah. for the rest of the day, I think, but... Yeah. James, you want to say anything? We're going to move on to another topic here. Okay, we're going to go to... Uh, we're going to go to a break, and then we're going to get into a little bit of politics with uh, Sheldon here. It's Plastic Free July. For the entire month, OceanWise is sharing an action each day on Instagram and at ocean.org, which can help you reduce plastic waste in your life. Don't miss their webinar on Thursday from 11 to noon, when OceanWise will do a walkthrough of the Plastic Challenge and talk about plastic pollution with a panel of guest speakers. RSVP for the webinar and take the Plastic Challenge today at ocean.org slash plastic dash free dash July. Learn to love your smile again at Der Denture Center. Der Denture Center offers a full range of denture services from partial dentures to complete dentures. Same-day repairs are also available. Der Denture Center is located on the third floor of the Victoria Medical Building with easy elevator access. Come in for a free complimentary consultation. No referral required. For help with your existing set or if you need new, Der Denture Center in the Victoria Medical Building. Call 250-562-6638. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business. If you're totally out of shape, Trainer Kim's has a new fitness class just for you. Created for anyone new or returning to fitness after an extended period, Fitness 101 features slow-paced workouts allowing for proper instruction and form. Breaks are given for recovery and all exercises can be modified to meet every ability. If you are ready to take this first step towards a stronger, healthier body, contact Trainer Kim today by emailing trainer underscore Kim at hotmail.com. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and uh, we're going to get into a little bit of politics, Canadian federal election politics. We'll probably have an election next year. And uh, if something doesn't happen, we're probably going to end up with more of the same. So um, hopefully that, you know... There's some way around this that uh, that this is not going to be the way it's going to be for the next hundred years. Not that that'll affect me very much for anybody else in this room, but uh, 
it's just kind of strange the way it is. So I'm going to get Sheldon just to give us an overview here of where we are and where he thinks we're going. Well, sure. Thanks, Eric. Uh, you know, we had an election in 2019, and then we had another election in 2021, which a lot of people regard as the unnecessary pandemic election. Uh, that was Trudeau's third term. He got a second uh, minority government out of it, but basically achieved no change from 2019. There were a few minor changes. The Liberals got the most seats in the election, 160, when for a majority in Canada you need 170 because you have to appoint the Speaker. Uh, the Conservatives uh, were down two seats from their 2019 performance, but they actually increased their popular vote. Uh, the NDP was up one, but didn't perform as well as they expected. The Green Party lost popular vote. They, they went down to a third of what they'd had before. They kept their two seats, though. Uh, the PPC uh, had nearly 5% of the popular vote, no seats, and yet certainly uh, seems to have had an effect in, in the outcomes of some Ridings. Now, people say, well, the PPC affected Conservatives in about 10 ridings. Well, maybe. Some of those PPC voters would never vote Conservative anyway, and some of them came from other parties where they would put their votes. So that may be a factor, but it's, I don't think it's a, it's a clear factor. But what we've got going on also is that interference by China in our election. They very clearly were, were t- taking a role with the Chinese media, Chinese social media, you're starting to see a fair bit of uh, intrigue there that I think needs to be dealt with much more severely than we have been. And this is all in the background of a country that is increasingly divided. We have a country now where the divisions are becoming more and more stark and the political parties are not yet responding in any way to that that is going to result in a change in government. You've got Trudeau, which is concurrently... He is concurrently the Liberal Party's biggest liability, as well as their main asset. The scandal after scandal that the Liberals have been engaged in should be having an effect on them. And it's interesting when you talk to people who are not Liberal supporters, who cannot, for the life of them, understand or fathom why anyone would vote for that character and his and his his band of of uh, cor- uh, corruption, and yet. When you talk to liberal supporters, they think everything's lovely. And it's, it's a completely different way of viewing the world that is becoming more and more stark. And when you're looking at an election, compromise positions are increasingly problematic. When you've got strong divisions on major issues, you are going to lose your supporters if you move away from a, a clear stand on a major issue to something that you think will be a compromise position. Uh, uh, O'Toole did this in the uh, 2021 election. He flipped on the firearms issue, for example. And there's pretty good grounds to look at that and say that probably cost him several seats because people stayed home. Uh, They had nothing to vote for, so they didn't vote. Uh, The other thing that's going on is the high costs that Canadians are being faced with in terms of taxes. I had a, a farmer tell me that he's basically getting 20 cents on the dollar and 80%, 80 cents on the dollar is going to pay tax uh, for all of the, the things that they're being taxed on, taxed on taxes and so on. And the term that I've been hearing people say more and more is tax revolt, that we have to push back against this. So I think there's an awful lot of things going on that are going to affect the outcome of the next federal election. And what 
uh, are what we're most likely to see is not very much change, but more and more division. And as we have more and more division and people being increasingly made unhappy, I think you're going to see more unrest, like we're seeing, for example, now in France. Uh, the Macron government is in huge trouble, and I, the the pattern of unrest is going to get, I think, much more uh, widespread as people are becoming less satisfied with their governments and the types of policies they are enacting, while others in their countries are completely happy and want uh, more free stuff without work, and it's it's just going to be more and more of a problem. If the conservatives expect to win the next federal election, they have to take seats away from liberals. And the way they can do that is by having the NDP take vote away from liberals or win seats in Quebec, and you have to have liberals lose seats on their own on their own uh, lack of merit. The conservatives also have to sell a message that's going to resonate with people. Uh, Pierre Polyev was very successful in the leadership campaign, signed up a tremendous amount of new members, and he's got a lot of supporters who have high expectations. So he knows that, and he is also very well aware that in order to get those seats in key urban ridings, that he's going to have to try to modify his message to appeal to those particular voters. And he can't do that without alienating the supporters he has on a whole range of other issues throughout areas in the rest of the country. So this is the great dilemma. So what has what's likely to happen if there's going to be a change is a more of a collapse of the Liberals' ability to uh, be credible in the eyes of the Canadian public. I think they pretty much supported that all on their own. I mean, just look at the the, the garbage that has gone on uh, with Justin at the helm. I, I mean, the, the conflict of interest thing. Oh, I mean, that's an absolute waste of time. There's there's no criminal code section for conflict of interest federally. So what was the point? I mean, he got his wrist slapped, and that was it. And then he turns around and appoints a conflict of interest commissioner out of his select group of individuals. So, you know, go easy on me, okay? I'll give you a job, but be nice to me. So I'm... Yeah, he does think, it again and again. I mean, the, the the continual scandals from this this liberal government is, have been outrageous. And, and the people who continue to prop them up and still support this... Uh, they just have blinders on. Yeah, well, I can make it perfectly clear. I respect the office of the prime minister and the power that it holds, but I also have to say to qualify that is the individual that sits in that office has to deserve that respect going into it and has to understand the power of that office and the accountability of that office. And I'm sorry, but the individual holding that office right now hasn't got a clue of what he's doing. Or how important that office is. Uh, it, it's this is like some sort of rich boy play toy thing, uh, you know. So it, it's annoying. Uh, but the other question is: Okay, so we have Pierre looking to get in there, and we have Jugmeet. Um, I saw an opinion piece that uh, basically quoted Jugmeet out as being uh, not. Prime Ministerial material. He's more a, a, a general manager or a branch manager as opposed to being a, a, a leader of a party. And uh, 
you know, I, I got to admit, if I were going to run in in uh, the political office, what a primo position to be in. You sit in opposition, you get a paycheck, you marf once or twice in front of the mics about a couple of things, and then you stand back and you make deals with the party in power get what you want and don't really have to work for it. That's, 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 that's win-win. ND, that's the that's the NDP model, though. That's what's worked for them right from, from the beginning, uh, is that they, they get what they want by making deals with the party yeah, in power. Yeah, they, they, do, they do that. So do, so do the bloc. So it works for them. <clears throat> it doesn't work for Western Canada. Personally, I don't, uh, I don't think we have an upstanding leader in Canada today for any party. We're going to go for a break. Okay, we're going for a break. Tourism Prince George has joined the world of podcasting. Hosted by CEO Colin Carson, the take on Prince George gives an in-depth look at what our city has to offer, capturing audiences planning trips to northern B.C., coming to Prince George for business or sport, and adventurers looking to get off the beaten path. A new podcast is available each month on most major streaming platforms. Access the latest program at thetakeonprincegeorge.buzzsprout.com. Vantage Point offers several bursaries to staff and board members of eligible organizations through generous donors such as the City of Vancouver, the City of U.S. Minster, and public contributions. Each bursary has specific eligibility requirements. More information about a particular bursary is available from that bursary's program coordinator. A list of bursaries and an application link for the Vantage Point Bursary Program are available through the Find a Bursary link under training at thevantagepoint.ca. Vantage Point, transforming not-for-profit leadership. Check out Vantage Point's latest podcast for Maria Turnbull, hosting David Lee from Mosaic and fellow consultants J.P. Baker and Doria Toon in a roundtable conversation about the power of collaboration and the key elements and systems for impactful working partnerships. The collaboration continuum, it starts with a connection, and other recent Vantage Point podcasts are available online. Access them today through the media menu at thevantagepoint.ca. Vantage Point, transforming not-for-profit leadership. Forecast from Environment Canada, mix of sun and cloud today with local smoke, a few showers with a risk of thunderstorms beginning this afternoon, a high of 26 with a high UV index. Tonight, a few showers with thunderstorms ending this evening, then partly cloudy with a 30% chance of showers, all of 12. For Tuesday, a mix of sun and cloud with local smoke, a 30% chance of showers in the afternoon with the risk of a thunderstorm, a high 26 with a high UV index. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS. Okay, we're back and we're going to kick around this uh, discussion on the next federal election and what's, what may or may not happen there. Peter, you had something you wanted to say? Uh, well, yeah, um, you know, t- 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 what's uh, been talked about a lot is the, is the fact that the, with this liberal NDP coalition that, you know, the, the NDP has become a, a branch plant or a, or a wing of the, of the Liberal Party in that kind of way, right? And when you actually, when you look back at it and all that, you go back to that, you know, several elections ago when Mulcair was leader of the NDP. And uh, basically he gave away the traditional territory of the NDP to the, to the Trudeau liberals, right? You know, like he tried to, the NDP tried to play the, you know, sort of more uh, conservative kind of role, right? And uh, allowing uh, the Trudeau liberals to sort of go into their, you know, so-called left-wing territory and... Uh, uh, you know, scoop up the votes, uh, and you know, some would say that this is more of a you know that more and more we're moving towards a two-party system, 
which I hope is not the case, frankly, you know, because, uh, you know, one of the things is, uh, you know, like when you have uh, other parties in there, you know, other than the, just the two, the two parties, the two main parties and all this, uh, it makes it harder for the elite and for these when these parties get into power and all this to, uh, uh, you know, bring in th- things unilaterally and uh, all sorts of stuff like that. It makes it makes it more difficult for them. The, the cart- it's a cartel party system in many ways, uh, and uh, going to a two party system would make it worse, right? But uh, I think the, the the loser in this is uh, probably the in the in the long term is the is the NDP. But that being said, political operatives like uh, uh, Warren Kinsella, you know, talk about how the, this NDP Liberal Coalition government is an unmitigated disaster for conservatives. Uh, uh, I wouldn't be so quick to make that kind of prediction. It's very hard to make the way the world is these days. It's very hard to make uh, absolute predictions in terms of what's going to go on, right? In terms of what the way voters are going to go and uh, the way the elites are going to, you know, try to sort out their contradictions. So uh, I'm I'm not as uh, you know sort of uh, in agreement with uh, Kinsella. It's possible he may be right that way, but uh, it's also possible that uh, other things, other factors that could could come up and are coming up and all this uh, could be more decisive in terms of the election outcome. Well, don't forget Kinsella's a liberal, too. And yes. I, agree, I agree with you, Peter. I don't think Kinsella's accurate about that. I think that there are there are a, a lot of things going on around that particular coalition, the liberal uh, NDP coalition, that are actually fairly cleverly being played by by the NDP because uh, a lot of people say, well, we didn't vote for this. You're not, you shouldn't be able to do that. But actually, that's how Parliament works. Parliament is not like uh, the American system where they have uh, individual ability to lobby individual members and make a difference and they can vote against party lines. In our system, it's, it's a lot of block voting. And if you're able to... Uh, cut a deal like the NDP have done, that puts them in a pretty good position to get their agenda passed when they would otherwise have no chance of doing that. Yep. So yeah. th- that's, the, that's the game they're playing, and they're playing it quite successfully. So you know, I, I, I think that that isn't a disaster for the Conservatives, however, because what it's done is it's highlighted the stark divisions in the country. And it depends how these parties are going to play these things up going into the next federal election and how they're best able to make their case and get a majority of the seats. And I, I'm not sure we're going to see a big change. I, I'm, I'm concerned about that. That worries me a great deal because the direction the country is going in is a very dangerous one. Yeah, we have to get somebody somewhere to have a look at the demographics of what's going on out there. Anybody that thinks politics today is the way it was 20, 30 years ago, was living in a dream world. And the people that were staunch supporters of the conservatives over an extended period of time are taking that last walk in the forest, and uh, they're not around anymore. And the younger people don't even think that way. And this applies to other political parties, too. So depends on what kind of uh, plan you put out there or something. I mean, NDP has organized organization. It has unions. And those things are still there. And so that's a given. And liberals, they got pretty well their base, I guess. But the thing is, where does the conservatives get additional voters from? They've got to go to the younger people. They've got to try to convince them that 
they're a good uh, party to support. And they're doing that, I think. I, they, the polls seem to be indicating that younger people are becoming more and more conservative. And the conservatives are certainly the money-making machine on all of this. They're getting their donations that they need to fight elections. The NDP certainly isn't. No, but I can't see the... Uh, I mean, we need... We, meaning the conservatives, need a lot of people to be looking at the conservatives and voting. And, you, and this idea that you can form a government and be part of the thing by sitting at home and not voting, yep. that's got to stop. That's dangerous. You've got to get the same results all the time. Yep. So, so why, why aren't people voting? And I, th- I think, I think the, the, the answer to that is that uh, none of the parties have any kind of credible uh, strategy to deal with the challenges uh, that we're facing today. No, nobody wants to stand up to the true rulers of our, of our country, which are the, the large corporations. And uh, you know, I certainly am not looking at the conservatives to uh, solve to solve that problem. Uh, as far as the liberals and, and the NDP, I mean, they're they're in with this whole this whole kind of neoliberal arrangement as well. You know, the just look, look around us, you guys. All everybody's losing um, faith in government. We're we're losing our ability to get by in life. Uh, there's affordability crises. The, the the cost of food is going up and up. Does any do any of the parties say anything about any of this? Do they have any kind of realistic solution? They don't. Well, they don't need it as long as you got people sitting at home <laughs> eating a ham sandwich and watching well, TV. Well, that's right, and, and that's, that's where the problem is. The dumbing the dumbing down of the or attempts to dumb down the electorate and limit Im- information in a time when information is so much more accessible. And quality of information is uh, is dubious. And, and why isn't anybody making a big stink about this Facebook thing? I mean, it's crazy that Facebook right now is censoring Canadian news. Like, if you look for, uh, like, like if you Google the Prince George Citizen, it does not show up. Like yeah. that is to me that is insane. You know, I was looking for some forest fire reports. Mm-hmm. I can't find anything. Like they're they're literally censoring our news. Like people should be absolutely outraged at this. What's Pierre Polivier doing about that? He, he actually said, has been complaining about it, but you know, I, said I, we're in a Norwellian society. It's it, it's a it, we're we're following very gradually the trappings towards a police state. The types of controls mm-hmm. we're getting, and and I I don't say that lightly. I no. I look at what we've been doing. You don't you don't end up one morning with with you know jackboots on the corner. You you walk into it very slowly over decades, and here we are with. All of this control on people, your cell phones monitoring what you're saying, what you're doing, where you are, all of that. And they're even quite open about it. They're quite open about it. And nobody's got a solution. Well, I have a solution, but it wouldn't be a very happy one. I would agree with you on that, like in terms of where we're going, right? You know, like in terms of just on censorship alone, like the, the, the Facebook is just one example of... Uh, the censorship that exists and has 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 existed for a number of years now, you know, like there's been all kinds of stuff. Google's done all kinds of stuff uh, to uh, uh, de-rank, uh, you know, alternative news sites and, and and so on, right? And then you get you get all this pressure all over the place, like the whole, the whole question of, and that's why uh, the issue of, uh, of freedom of speech and conscience is is an important one that needs to be raised. You know, because there's really serious dangers coming down the road. Well, that's for sure. Okay, we're going to go for a break now and uh, come back. We'll change the subject. The Prince George RCMP is asking for your help in finding 40-year-old Matthew Thomas Lance Alston, wanted for robbery, assault with a weapon, and uttering threats to cause bodily harm. 
Austin is described as a Caucasian male, 5'10", 133 pounds, with short brown hair, blue eyes, and multiple tattoos on his face. He is considered dangerous and should not be approached. If you know the whereabouts of Matthew Alston, please contact the RCMP immediately at 250-561-3300. This year's team of riders for the annual Cops for Cancer Tour de North is set. The team will spend the next six months training and fundraising as they prepare to cycle over 800K across seven days in September. Funds raised go towards life-saving childhood cancer research and Camp Good Times. The Tour de North team will set out on September 15th from Prince George and finish in Prince Rupert on September 21st. To learn more about the program or to donate, please visit tourdenorth.ca. If you believe someone you know might be a victim of elder abuse, turn your concerns over to the professionals and let them investigate. Do not confront the abuser yourself. Let the professionals determine if abuse is occurring. The Prince George Council of Seniors has a list of numbers you can call and websites you can visit for more information. Pick up the list at the Seniors Resource Center at 1330 5th Avenue or call 250-564-9100. The Alzheimer's Society of BC offers an early stage support group. It's a safe place for people in the early stages of dementia to learn about dementia and community resources while connecting with others on a similar journey. To register, call the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033. The Alzheimer's Society's Prince George Early Stage Support Group, the second Wednesday of each month from 1 to 2 at 1811 Victoria. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and we're going to change the subject now and go to the shortage of hay. And I think it's right across North America, but certainly here in uh, north central B.C. Uh, there is a shortage, and it's impacting the cattle industry plus uh, other industries. So James is going to take us down the road on on the haying wagon. Go ahead, James. Yeah, I think we've been pretty lucky the last few years here in, in central BC. We've had a pretty good hay crops. We actually supplied a lot of hay to other areas in in the province and, and Alberta that had had shortages. But man, this year the uh, the bad weather hit us pretty hard. Um, yeah, we had some really weird uh, weather in May. Like we had some really hot, dry weather, and then we had a bunch of frosts. Uh, you know, you'd have real hot days, and then it would it'd go down below freezing at night, and that really did a number on, on the hay crop. And it's not growing, um, you know, all across the region. And, uh, yeah, there was an article there in CKPG about uh, the, there's a 1,000 uh, cattle at the market in Vanderhoof there. Uh, usually there's 500 at the, this time of year. And, you know, this is just going to get worse. Um, we're probably going to have to buy hay, but where do we? where are we going to buy hay from you know like our, how are other areas uh, producing uh, i think alberta kind of had the same problems we had earlier in the season they've had some more moisture since then but uh, it's hard to say where that's that's coming and yeah it, it it broaches the question of of how are we going to fare going ahead if you have what uh, people are talking about uh, with simultaneous crop failures you know if you've got if you've got uh, a problem all across North America with producing crops at the same time, like we're we're in for some big, some big problems. Um, That's for sure. And uh, and I think it kind of really begs a question as to what we're doing for food security here in, in Prince George. Um, and the answer to that question is not much. You know, we're we're entirely dependent on on a lot of fruits and vegetables from California or, or Vancouver, if we're lucky, from the greenhouses there, and and nobody's doing anything. You know, nobody's talking about it. 
you write an op-ed supporting getting a farm going there at the farm site there on the on Ospica, and everybody makes fun of you. So, you know, like um, people need to start waking up. We need to start getting serious about uh, the, about the issues here, and we got to start uh, growing more food. We need backyard chickens. Uh, we need to start growing our own potatoes again. We need to get dairy production happening in, in Prince George. We need to get egg farms happening. Uh, there's so much that we need to be doing here, and uh, nobody's taking it seriously. Well, yeah, it, it's, a, it's, it's absolutely a huge problem. I talked to a good friend of mine who's got a cattle and, and hay, and they were charging $100 a round bale last year. This year they're charging 140, and the prices are going higher than that because they're not even sure they're going to have enough feed for their own cattle. Uh, and they're they're out today trying to see what they can get out of those fields, and it's not good. And their their complaints are that there's an awful lot of things going on that are not working. The lack of rain, the bad weather that you articulated so well is uh, certainly a, a factor. But the thing that's really crushing them is taxes. Uh, they're, they're saying they're paying so much carbon tax now and they're not really seeing why this is at all necessary they're not seeing any benefit from it and the fact of the matter is we all depend on farmers and if we don't have farms and we don't have them growing food and we don't have them feeding food for us to consume we're all going to be in a big problem uh, we watched in the pandemic when the shelves on those grocery stores started to get empty after a few days when the trucks weren't coming and when the, the materials weren't being provided it's uh, a very narrow margin between us and starvation very very fine line and if our supply management and our logistical capabilities break down, we're in big trouble. And there's certainly a, a good argument to be made for eat, but farming locally and relying on local produce and taking steps to do it. The problem, of course, we have is winter. You don't have that opportunity in winter without an awful lot of energy being put into things like greenhouses, insulation, and all the rest of it. Well, we, we uh, you know, when we used to grow our own potatoes here in Prince George, Eric uh, will tell us, we had uh, big uh, root cellars built into the side of the hill below the cemetery. So actually, we didn't even need refrigeration. We could supply ourselves with with uh, vegetables all winter with, with minimal uh, carbon inputs. I think one of, the, one of the big trends in agriculture that we need to look at which will also impact our food security is the growth, the huge growth of canola production in Canada and across the prairies. Canola is displacing all sorts of food crops. Uh, if you look at the acreage um, of being used for cereal production, it's all gone way down. Like wheat has gone way down. Hay crop uh, land dedicated for growing hay and forage has gone way down. All of this has been replaced uh, almost entirely with canola. Uh, so we've got this new um, plant here in Prince George that's going to be making biodiesel guess out of guess what canola i'm uh, on twitter there i'm bombarded with ads from these big pesticide manufacturers uh heaping praise on the growth of the canola industry in canadian agriculture well guys guess what this canola is displacing actual real food with what i call junk food juice and biofuel feedstock basically like it's this will also impact our food security going down the road because the changes there with the crop production and the canola production is huge and uh, you know, it's also worth pointing out that canola is is probably one of the most environmentally damaging, highest carbon consuming form of agriculture there is. That requires way more fertilizer than wheat or anything else. Uh, it's all it's pretty much the only GMO crop we have in Canada, which is canola. You know, there's a few other crops, but uh, they tell you GMOs are going to feed the world, guys. It's being used to uh, enhance the profitability of the one crop that isn't feeding the world. So. 
uh, huge issues in agriculture coming down, and, and I think tech, a lot of the technology and the, the government policies, uh, you know, taxation, sure, yeah, the carbon tax, yeah, let's, we can complain about that for sure, but at the end of the day, a lot of this stuff is climate change related, so what are we doing about that? Peter, you got something to say on that? Uh, yeah, well, just more on uh, what uh, uh, Sheldon and James are talking about, the whole question of food security. Uh, yeah, th- that's a really important issue that needs to be looked at. We have to look at it in the context of, uh, uh, of today, of today's world, right? And, uh, you know, the pandemic underscored the, the whole problem of, uh, you know, having the, uh, you know, supply chains, uh, you know, in other countries. Like in, in that regard, it was the fact that uh, Canada had no facilities for manufacturing vaccines. But uh, that's, that's just one example there, right, in terms of... Uh, problems and uh, I, I think we what we have to look at is uh, also the whole the whole question of the Canadian advantage right you know that we've got the, uh, the cheaper energy you know we've got uh, hydro energy we've got uh, uh, oil and gas and, and and so on right you know the whole question of, of greenhouses the whole question of more local production and so on and that's very much on the agenda facing the world that we're we're going into at this time when uh, supply chain, this whole globalized supply chain uh, system, and all this is uh, under a lot of uh, stress and crisis at this time. Yeah, I certainly agree with pretty well everything that's been said. So we come to the end of the uh, program for today, and I want to thank everybody that's listening. Thank my panel for coming in, and uh, we'll be again here again on uh, Monday. And I might be here on uh, Friday filling in for Res, but. Uh, If I am, you'll hear it when I come on. (laughs) After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Darren Guess, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. Listen for a rebroadcast of today's program tonight at 10. And for past shows, check out the archives link at CFISFM.com. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email CFISFM at Yahoo.ca. You're listening to CFISFM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 on the FM dial. CFISFM is owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society.